Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Locked on Vikings. I'm your host, your pal, in the Katie Copied Off in Math class. My name is Luke Braun. I'm on Twitter at LukeBraunNFL. The show is on Twitter at Locked on Vikings. You can find this show on any podcast app that you prefer, including Spotify, Himalaya, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, whatever you like. And if you don't like podcast apps because they're clunky or because you listen to your car and you don't want to be scrolling through your phone, you can always ask your smart device like Siri or Alexa, play podcast Locked on Vikings. Today we are continuing with the 90-man series. It is the penultimate episode of this. We only have six players that we have not covered, and we're going to do three of them on today's episode, beginning with Rashad Hill. Rashad Hill is a tackle that we originally got off of the practice squad of Jacksonville. More on that later. Uh, He started a little bit through 2017 and 2018, sometimes in spot duty, a little bit at the start of 2018 as an actual starter. He signed a tender in the uh, offseason this year, and so he is playing on a one-year deal as a swing tackle. Now, Rashad Hill's body is very, very good for a a tackle. He has like a really long wingspan. He has the right shape and the right build and the right weight and the right athleticism to be a good tackle. So that meant that he was always going to get a little bit of attention. And so he got a couple of offers in high school from Rutgers and Southern Miss specifically. And he wasn't uh, a hugely recruited player. He wasn't a four or five star recruiter or anything like that. But his uh, potential got him enough to at least get into one of those two schools. And he decided, uh, even though Rutgers is definitely a better football school, or at least a better opportunity considering that you get to play Big Ten competition versus Conference USA competition, he decides to go to Southern Miss. And he makes this decision because he wants to be a cop. He grew up idolizing cops and and he, you know, was just one of those kids that always wanted to be a police officer. And so he decided to go to Southern Miss where he liked their criminal justice program a little bit better. Now, He was obviously there on a football scholarship, and he very quickly became a starting fixture for that team, protecting none other than Nick Mullins, that guy who played a couple of weird games for the 49ers and was, like, better than we thought he'd be. But his on-field story in college isn't nearly as formative, in my opinion at least, as what happens to him off of the field. He gets married, he has a kid in the spring right before his senior year in 2015, and his child is born one month premature. And pretty much right away, doctors can figure out that something is wrong with his new daughter's hearing. She isn't responding to sound the way that babies normally do. And he talks about this moment very frankly in an interview that was conducted uh, last season. And, and he talks about it as like this kind of moment where you're you're a father and, and your kid has a problem and you're kind of in denial. You're like, no, 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 my kid's just like all the other kids. Something is wrong. You have to have something wrong. But it turns out that something isn't wrong. And then you have to kind of say instead of just like hoping and just kind of convincing yourself that your daughter is like all the other kids, you have to take actions to make it so that your daughter can be like all the other kids. That's the way that he puts it. So he takes her to go get a hearing aid and that ends up not quite being enough. So she actually gets a cochlear implant. And then later she actually gets form fitted for a custom cochlear implant in this, in the other ear. And eventually this becomes a cause that is very important to Rashad Hill. And if you ever see his cleats during the My My Cause My Cleats uh, thing that the NFL will do, I think every year they do it now, uh, you will see uh, that 
represented on his cleats. But back to the football field, because of Rashad Hill's measurables and a pretty good resume, albeit at a small school, he starts to get a little bit of attention from NFL teams, and even though he falls all the way out of the draft, he ends up getting some looks in undrafted free agency. Now, he went to high school at Ed White High School in Jacksonville, Florida, so when the Jaguars come a-calling and say, hey, do you want to sign an undrafted free agent contract? It's curtains. That's going to be what gets done. And he comes in, actually gets a little bit of momentum in his first training camp in 2016, and he kind of makes a, you know, a roster push, and he's that local kid that like everybody's rooting for, right? But it turns out he's just a little bit too raw, and you can see, you know, there's potential, and, and Gus Bradley, who's the coach there at the time, kind of says, yeah, I can see all the potential, and I can see that, you know, everything is is there for for there to be, like, the makings of a good tackle someday, but, but he has to be more consistent, and so he ends up not making the team outright, but they do put him on the practice squad with the hope that he'll develop into something else later. And it turns out that they don't really get too much luxury of waiting because they have an injury elsewhere on the line and they have to promote him to the active roster in September. And this is actually the first time that Rashad Hill actually makes an NFL team. Now, he's not on it for very long. He's waived and put back on the practice squad a little bit later, but there is like a little bit of time between that. And he's now kind of one of these like on and off the roster, on and off the practice squad types. And his status with the Jaguars is in flux for that entire season. Meanwhile, in Minnesota in 2016, you may remember what happened to the offensive line there. They were going through Jake Long and TJ Clemmings and Matt Khalil was hurt and everybody was hurt and so they needed bodies and when week seven or I think it was like in November uh it came along uh the Vikings needed a warm body Jake Long had just gotten hurt and they needed to get rid of him and bring somebody else in so that they could fill out their roster and they gave Rashad Hill a call and the Jaguars did not want him to leave they said okay we'll promote you to the active roster if you stay but Rashad Hill looking at the two different situations you know looking at that Jaguars offensive line at the time it had like Andrew Norwell and a couple other players I think Luke Jekyll was still there and you could kind of tell there wasn't really an opportunity to grow he was just going to kind of be a backup forever and then backup undrafted free agent that maybe makes the team next year like there's definitely a limit on how much he could achieve in Jacksonville. Meanwhile, go look at Minnesota, where you actually could arise. Everything is in ashes there, and you can be the one to come in and actually, you know, grow your reputation a little bit. So he chooses Minnesota. He goes to their active roster, ends up playing in week 17. And he actually plays really well in week 17 and becomes kind of an offseason talking point for that whole whole offseason. And then the 2017 offseason happens where the Vikings clear out a whole bunch of offensive linemen. Matt Khalil goes away. TJ Clemmings goes away. And a lot of the players that... Rashad Hill would have been competing with are, are not there anymore by the time the actual regular season starts. And even Rashad or even uh, Riley Reef, who is their, you know, new big acquisition at left tackle is actually hurt for a lot of that training camp, if you recall, and Rashad Hill actually gets a lot of starting reps. So his decision ends up paying off and he gets to kind of prove himself as, you know, what he would look like if he were a starter. And even though Riley Reef comes back and is healthy by the time, you know, his uh, it's it's week one, Rashad Hill has already kind of proven himself. And by the end of the 2017 season, they're putting him in at right tackle. And if you remember, he played there throughout those playoffs and into the first parts of 2018. And then, as the circle of life goes, Rashad Hill got hurt in week two. And Brian O'Neill came in, and Brian O'Neill outplayed him. Now he's a backup again. But I still think that the decision to choose Minnesota over Jacksonville kind of uh, paid off for him because I don't think he would have gotten those opportunities in Jacksonville. There just wasn't as much chaos for him to take advantage of. 
So now that he has accrued three actual official seasons in the NFL, he gets to be uh, subject to the tender program. He gets an, an unrestricted free agent tender, uh, the, the no round tender, the, uh, the, the one where you don't have to give up a draft pick, and the Vikings sign him to a one-year deal. So now he's in not really any kind of a tenuous spot. He's essentially got a free ticket to the roster, unless something goes really, really wrong in the preseason. And things can go one of two ways. Either nobody gets hurt and, you know, bless the knees and keep them healthy. And if nobody gets hurt and Rashad Hill stays on the bench, then he probably walks in free agency, or maybe the Vikings keep him on as a swing tackle and see the value in him. We'll see what would happen there. But if somebody does get hurt, he then gets the chance to go in and play. Otherwise, his preseason is essentially his audition for his next contract, be it in Minnesota or elsewhere. So he is not somebody fighting for his life right now, but his play in the preseason will absolutely affect his future. So I am going to step away, and when I come back, we'll talk about the next guy on the list. I'll see you all in a second. Welcome back. So next up, we have the last offensive lineman that we have left on the series. We finally got through them all. It's Storm Norton. Uh, the only guy we haven't talked about yet. He's kind of been waiting in the wings of the roster for a while. He he bounced through a couple of other teams before he ended up on our practice squad in 2017. And there's a chance that even though he's entering his third season with the actual team, you may not have heard of him. So Storm Norton's whole uh, story is characterized by a steady rise and, and really like slow and steady growth and improvement. So he arrives at Toledo in 2012 as an offensive lineman prospect, and, and his body wasn't quite right. He actually has to lose 30 pounds because it's not good weight, and, and before he can even start trying to like put on muscle, he has to shed all of the bad weight first. And he does so. He does a really good job as a freshman of losing weight, and that's kind of his like primary job as he's a redshirt. And in 2013, his next season, he has to gain 10 pounds of muscle. He actually gains 10 pounds of muscle every year he is in college and kind of gaining that weight back, but it's good weight this time. And it's just an increase in athleticism. And he doesn't really get any opportunities to play until uh, it's the 2014 season and there's a couple of injuries and they actually need him to come in and be a left tackle. And he grades out okay, but it doesn't look like he's, you know, the guy that can take over the mantle forever. And there's still a little bit to prove when he goes into uh, his second to last year at Toledo in 2016, or sorry, in 2015. And so heading into that 2015 season where Storm Norton will eventually become kind of like the stalwart left tackle for Toledo, uh, he's really the only guy that's been on the team before because everybody else on the team who was above him, who was older than him and more tenured, had left, be it just for graduating or, or to go try to try out for the NFL or whatever. So suddenly Norton goes from not really being able to crack the lineup anywhere, and they did have him practice and be a reserve at pretty much every position on the line at the time. It doesn't really work out for him in the NFL this way. He's definitely like built to be a tackle at six foot eight and like three ten. But now with his newfound athleticism and his, his better body shape and better habits, he can come in and actually like go from being the nobody to being the leader in Toledo. Nobody else who ends up starting that year had started a single game for Toledo. And so he suddenly has a little bit of a mantle to take up. So he quickly finds himself earning like Mountain American Conference, uh, like all conference 
awards and he's voted a captain and he becomes that kind of, this is a small school, but you're like the guy at it and now you're going to get looks from the NFL. So he doesn't get drafted and he ends up in Detroit where things kind of start to get a little bit tumultuous, obviously, because he has to like tear through a couple teams before he actually ends up in Minnesota. So as an undrafted free agent, he tries to make the Detroit Lions and he initially doesn't. He gets cut on cut day, but before they actually end up playing a regular season game, they have to promote him to the active roster. So ostensibly he makes the team right off the bat his rookie year. However, it doesn't last very long. When you're an undrafted free agent player that is essentially straddling the line between practice squad and active roster, your entire trajectory is pretty much going to be centered around injuries to other people. So he's around for the week one game, but he ends up getting cut and put back on the practice squad later that week. And then he stays on the practice squad until October, and then the Lions end up needing that practice practice squad slot for somebody else. So he ends up getting cut entirely and, and falls into the throes of free agency. He doesn't sit there very long. He's there for basically most of the week until the Arizona Cardinals decide that they need him. So they bring him up to the active roster and wave some linebacker. And then he only stays there for a little bit of that month later in November. He gets cut and the Vikings who are going through their 2017 magical run are, are dealing with a couple of injury issues. If you remember at that time, both Riley Reef and Mike Remmers were kind of on and off with injury, and Pat Elfline was also fighting something as well, and so they needed a little bit of extra depth on their practice squad. So the Vikings picked him up and put him on the practice squad, and that's where he's been ever since. And now he has the chance to actually make the team again. So he comes into the 2018 preseason with, you know, another attempt at making a roster. And he basically did, I mean, unofficially, but basically did in his rookie year, but he doesn't end up making the roster in his sophomore year with the Vikings. There's just too much crowding at the tackle position they had after all just drafted one. So he doesn't end up making the squad, but he does make the practice squad again. And again, later in that year when there's a couple of injuries and, and they need a little bit of extra depth at the tackle spot, the Vikings promote him to the active roster for a hot second and eventually cut him and re-sign him to the practice squad where he signs a, a reserve futures contract and now he's headed into the offensive line room in 2019. That's probably going to be what his career looks like for a while. Onto the active roster, off the active roster, maybe a practice squad, maybe you lose that too, maybe you have to go somewhere else, and maybe Minnesota is one stop amongst many. But remember, Storm Norton is a guy that, that slowly ascended. And he went from, you know, unrosterable to rosterable in the NFL. But in Toledo, he went from, you know, not ready to play to you have to be ready to play right now to slowly just kind of working and waiting in the wings and trying to get better. He's somebody that is going to kind of slip under your radar. And maybe he should. Maybe he's absolutely nobody and he's just another guy that's going to cycle through the bottom of the roster and practice squad like so many people do. He certainly has his cut, his work cut out for him in trying to make the active roster after Brian O'Neill, Riley Reef, and Rashad Hill. The Vikings will typically only keep one or two more tackles after that, usually just one. And you've got Aviant Collins, you've got Oli Udo, who they just drafted. You've got a lot of competition there that you would have to ascend above to make the active roster. But the practice squad is still an option. The thing about slow and steady development is that the NFL moves at a pace that's quicker than you sometimes. And maybe if you had, you know, if you're given, you know, three more years of practice squad time, you'll turn into an actual player and maybe there's a diamond in the rough there. But you're not going to get that much time. And and so this preseason is something where, you know, Storm Norton has to improve more than he's improved in the past, and he has to do it a lot more quickly. 
Otherwise, this could be curtains on a career that's been pretty on edge to this point. So we are going to move on to Everson Griffin, but first, I want to tell you about BlueChew.com. Guys, you've got to take intimacy seriously. It's important to your relationship, and it's something that your partner wants from you. So go check out Blue Chew and see if you can't level up a little bit. Blue Chew is the first FDA-approved tablet that has the same active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis, so you know exactly what you're getting. You can take it anytime, day or night, full stomach, empty stomach, whatever, and it works twice as fast as a typical pill because it's a chewable. So when the moment's right, you won't have to wait around for a pill to kick in. Whether you're older and your days of best performance in the bedroom are behind you, or somebody who just wants to get a little better and make your partner happy, Blue Chew is something worth trying. So go check out bluechew.com slash lock, L-O-C-K-E. That's bluechew.com slash lock. Don't let your body get in the way of doing something that's important to your relationship and something that, let's be honest, y'all want to do. Go take it seriously and check out Blue Chew. Okay, moving on. So let's talk about Everson Griffin. He is somebody that I think it's tragic because when somebody has a year that doesn't match the rest of their years, I find that the discourse about them usually only focuses on on what's most recent. You know, if a bad player has a breakout year, usually the discourse is around that breakout year. Was it it real or or was it, you know, just a flash in the pan? And the rest of their career kind of gets left by the wayside. And the same thing happens when a player who is good has a down year. You know, uh, something like Xavier Rhodes, who was playing injured a lot. Or Everson Griffin, who was dealing with his own issues that we'll get into in a second. But all of the discourse around Everson Griffin isn't about his all-pro career and, and, and his resume and, and, you know, the big picture of it. And why would it be, right? We've discussed all that ad nauseum when it was going on. We're discussing, you know, the most recent, the newest developments where he had a rough year in 2018, both on the field and off of it. And the question mark is always going to be around, like, will he return to form or whatever? So I, I want to take this opportunity, because this is what this series is about, to really look at Everson Griffin's entire career in football and really just take a step back and appreciate what it is, because when he goes to USC as a young, boisterous, troublemaking kid, and that shouldn't surprise you if you if you're familiar with Everson Griffin's personality now, he was actually too big for Pop Warner, so he actually turned to baseball to kind of get, scratch that sportsy itch, and uh, he actually was pretty good at it until he fell off of a truck goofing around. Uh, as boisterous young, you know, rambunctious young kids are wont to do, he actually breaks his arm and he can't throw as powerfully as before. So in high school, he actually turns back to football. He was always like extremely gifted athletically. And of course he turns into an NFL superstar, right? So he's going to blow all the like regular high school kids out of the water. He got good grades and everything seemed fine, but he was still a little bit of a troublemaker, right? He stood out and, and he would get called out all the time for that until it started he started to realize that wait I'm going to be a division 1 football player like this is serious this is not just some extracurricular activity I'm doing while I goof around at school like I could actually make something out of this and then he realizes that he has to display maturity otherwise these schools are going to be turned off so he really pulls it together in high school and he starts to you know go around to his friends and and his teammates and he starts to like encourage them to get better and he starts to like take on a leadership role and it works out he gets recruited by USC which you know pre Pete Carroll scandals was the, the the cream of the crop i mean this is like in the the Matt Liner you know Rose Bowl days 
so he heads from his home in Arizona to LA. It's close enough where his family can go see his games. Seems to be a, a, a perfect little setup. However, he and his roommate are going to get in a little trouble because you're young, you're te a teenager, you're dumb, and you're a loud antics-y troublemaker, and so he gets a noise violation in 2009, and this is kind of a, this is no big deal, right? It's like college kids getting the cops called on them because of noise. That's something that happens a lot but it's a little bit of a harbinger of things to come. So on the field, Everson Griffin remains a complete and total superstar. He's dominating people, and he really has an excellent junior year at USC, and he decides, I'm not going to go to my senior year. I'm going to declare for the draft. I think I can do it right now. And I think the way he talks about it, I think he regrets this, because I think if he went back his senior season and played again, he probably would have gotten drafted higher than the fourth round. Personally, I am ecstatic that things worked out the way that they did, because the Vikings got a steal. So he declares for the 2010 draft, and, and he's a, a fourth-round rookie for the Vikings. And then, over the span of three days, he gets in trouble again twice. And even today, he kind of understands that those character issues, getting in trouble and kind of being known as like a, a class clown of sorts, might have hurt his draft stock. And had he gone back to his senior year and kind of pulled out the same way he did in high school, he might have gone a, a lot higher. But alas, he ends up being a fourth-round pick. He dismisses his old younger self as a knucklehead, and it's time to play in the NFL. And then now let's talk about what might be the worst weekend of Everson Griffin's life, at least to this point. So he goes back uh, during the offseason, I think it was, after his, his rookie season. He goes back to Los Angeles, he goes uh, out on a Friday night, he parties a little too hard, and he gets arrested for public intoxication. Later, he gets pulled over at a traffic stop. Later in the weekend, he's still got his jail bracelet on from his first arrest, and he gives them an invalid license, and he panics, and he runs away, and he gets in a big fight with the cops. He ends up getting tased and, like, arrested again. And so this is a very bad weekend, and he uh, kind of melts down, right? And it would be very easy for any NFL team to be like, well, that guy's a mess. Time to, you know, give it up. But if you ever hear Rick Spielman talk about Everson Griffin, he kind of understands that Griffin, this isn't who Griffin is, that this isn't, I mean, he shouldn't be defined by these things like so many NFL players often are. And I think we, with the benefit of hindsight, can kind of see where Spielman was coming from. He's a leader. He's a, you know, he's a positive influence on everybody in, in the locker room. I mean, he's, he's the personality of the team. He's the guy hyping them all up. He's not the kind of guy you might stereotype him as, as a football player that's constantly in trouble with the law. And so what was once, you know, a cocky, headstrong rookie that thought he could just kind of show up to the NFL and dominate like he had in high school and college. Obviously, this isn't the case. It takes a little bit for Everson Griffin to, to get his legs under him in the NFL, but he's also surrounded by veterans, guys like Jared Allen and Brian Robeson, who, uh, and even like Kevin Williams, who I think have a huge influence on him and, and his personality and kind of how he approaches his game. And I think that affects the way that he approaches his game even to this day. So his first kind of rookie contract. His first few years are very uneventful. He's basically a rotational player. Brian Robeson and Jared Allen are kind of the starters, and they're not really going anywhere. And Everson Griffin kind of is only known as a guy that's like a rotational player that got in trouble once, and he's not looking like he's living up to that fourth-round hype. And if you were a part of, like, Vikings media at the time, people were talking about him like he was like a bust, like he's, he's going to make the team and all that, which is hysterical in hindsight, but that's kind of the reality of the situation. So when... Rick Spielman gives him a huge contract extension in on the eve of the 2014 season. People are looking at Spielman like, what are you doing? It was a very, very odd move, and it was a bet on a guy that they knew was really good, but just didn't get reps because the starters in front of him were 
you know, Jared Allen. And this coming off of the wake of the 2013 season where the defense was atrociously bad, you know, you're giving extensions to members of that defense that couldn't even crack that starting line. I mean, you know, it was, it was, there was a lot to be said about that particular extension, but with Everson Griffin's extension and the addition of Linval Joseph and Xavier Rose was coming on all that time, the, the, the start of this Minnesota Vikings defense was just being put into place, and Everson Griffin was a huge part of that. And then in 2014, he has a great season. In 2015, now he's like a perennial pro bowler, and it goes through 2016, 2017, I think was one of the best seasons he put out in his career. I, I don't want to say that definitively, though. Over this time, you know, he uh, marries his wife, he has kids, he built a family, and and things are, are really looking up. And then the 2018 season happens, and we need to talk about the 2018 season because telling Everson Griffin's story without telling this part, I think for the rest of his life, will be inappropriate. Now, usually when I address this thing, I will call it a, um, a mental health issue or a mental breakdown because I think that's, you know, the, the, that vague terminology is the most respectful thing to do at the time. Uh, but for this, because we're telling the story, I want to tell it in as much detail as I possibly can. So I apologize if this is disturbing or scary or it brings up bad memories for you. I think it's important to kind of lay it all out so that we can properly explain the situation. So in the first few weeks of of that season, Griffin had been acting very erratic. He had been yelling at players. He had been like more irritable than usual. And of course, he's always been loud and boisterous, but never quite this combative, I guess, is, is the way that it seems to be described. And his wife, in, uh, in, in her reports to the police, says that Everson really commonly uh, fights what she calls demons in his head. And this is the first kind of sign that there's probably a, a pretty serious mental issue going on with Everson Griffin that he's been dealing with, and, and in his own privacy, which is, you know, we, we shouldn't pry into whatever that is, and I'm not going to speculate. But suffice it to say, he has to get up sometimes in the middle of the night and leave the home and, and you know, take a walk and clear his head. And, and that's how he, he copes with whatever is going on. So on the night in question, this is what happens. He got up and he left the home and his wife didn't really think anything of it. This is something that happens commonly. Uh, it ends up that he goes over to Trey Waynes's house and he ends up trying to break in. And when he's breaking in, he's muttering things about 777 and, and God is making me do this. And there's clearly, you know, some some delusion going on, almost some like psychosis, a break with reality. He had also been talking in the weeks leading up to this incident. Uh, he, he had been saying things that that were, you know, signs of paranoia. Somebody is going to come to kill him. And and he was getting increasingly worried about that and worried about being followed. A good Samaritan, a passerby, found him and, and picked him up in their truck and called the police uh, and, and uh, Griffin's wife or called Griffin's wife who called the police, I think. And so the police get involved and, and they pick him up and they put him in an ambulance and, and the ambulance is going to drive him to a mental hospital where hopefully they can they can get him back to safety. But he actually forces his way out of that ambulance, jumps out of the back of it, and he starts yelling more uh, kind of nonsensical stuff about paranoia and about God and, and, and about, you know, all kinds of things that are clearly like a sign of a break with reality. Uh, he eventually gets back under control, he gets into the ambulance, he gets uh, admitted to the mental hospital, um, the Vikings play a week three game against the Bills without him, and the entire public and media is enshrouded in mystery as they haven't found out what's going on yet, and he takes a big old leave of absence from the team all the way up until I think it was like week nine when he came back where he can get his head right. Now he looks back on that incident and he, he can see it as something in the past and something that he is done dealing with, and, and that's a really good thing. Um, 
I'm not going to speculate or really talk about what what that means for his like performance on the field moving forward because I think frankly that that's really inappropriate at least in the context of of telling his story we can talk about and speculate about that at a later date what I want to talk about now is is that I don't know if any of you have people in your lives who have had moments like this or who have been around people who have had moments like this, but it's really, really scary. And it's something that, especially when it's a loved one, like a spouse or a father, it's something that you're never going to forget. And so the fact that Everson Griffin appears to be past this and and appears to be back into a a mentally healthy place is something that that just like fills my heart with joy. And it's something that I, I really care about just because of how much he means to the the entire community of Minnesota Vikings fans and to the community around him where he lives and in Minnesota. He he means a lot to people and and seeing him go through that is is highly upsetting. He's not somebody that I know or have ever talked to, but that doesn't mean I can't care about the guy. So now he enters the 2019 season with a little bit of a Stephen Weatherly nipping at his heels, but it seems like uh, Stephen Weatherly is going to be a rotational player or they're going to do other kind of weird like defensive line looks. The stuff they were doing at minicamp was kind of wild, so I can't wait to see what we get at, at training camp and in the preseason and what kind of weird looks they try this year. Uh, but by and large, Everson Griffin is is a, an entrenched starter, and he gets to go into the season and, and not worry about anything but staying uh, on top of his game and, and you know learning any new concepts and, and just getting warmed up for the season and, above all, stay healthy. So that's going to do it for this episode of Locked on Vikings. Thank you guys so much for hanging out. You can find me on Twitter at LukeBronNFL. You can find the show on Twitter at Locked on Vikings. You can always find this show on whatever podcast app you prefer. And if you don't prefer podcast apps, you can always ask your smart device to play podcast Locked on Vikings. Oh, and don't forget to check out BlueChew.com slash Locke, L-O-C-K-E. Don't forget the E. I will see you all tomorrow. And as always, Skull.